A-M-O-C-O, Amoco. American Oil Company, maker of famous Amoco products, presents Edward R. Murrow with the news. The dictionary says the word detergent means the ability to emulsify oils and hold dirt in suspension. And that's exactly what Amoco's Premium Plus Permalube Motor Oil does. This is the detergent oil that cleans as it lubricates. It keeps dirt, gummy carbon, and engine varnish from sticking to moving parts. Your engine stays cleaner, runs better, lasts longer. Give, give your engine these advantages with Permalube Motor Oil, the oil that cleans as it lubricates. And now here is Edward R. Murrow. This is the news. The president has signed a bill extending wage and price controls for another ten months. All controls, including rent, would have ended at midnight tonight if the president had refused to sign the bill. House Speaker Sam Rayburn, after talking to Mr. Truman, said the president was not happy about the legislation presented to him, but he signed it because it was the only thing he could do. Mr. Truman wanted controls extended for another two years. Congress voted only a ten-month extension. The president will have more to say about the measure tomorrow. If all goes well, congressional leaders hope to adjourn on Saturday, on the eve of the Republican convention, which begins next Monday. The Senator Taft arrived in Chicago today. He said he is willing to effect a compromise on the 38 contested Texas delegates. But he said to do this, both sides have to be reasonable. The Senator Carlson of Kansas, an Eisenhower supporter, said the general is in no mood to compromise. The National Republican Committee will begin hearing arguments on contested seats tomorrow. In addition to the Texas dispute, which will come up last, the committee will hear 34 cases involving six states. As of this hour, television cameras and recording equipment will not be permitted in the hearing room, despite the fact that Senator Taft and Senator Lodge, speaking for Eisenhower, have indicated they have no objections. The National Committee Chairman, Guy Gabrielson, says he is now polling committee members on how they feel about this matter. He also announced that General MacArthur's keynote speech is written and has been checked by responsible party leaders. There is no definite decision on whether MacArthur will deliver the speech in uniform. My colleague Dave Schoenbrunn telephoned a few minutes ago from Denver. He reports that General Eisenhower will leave for Chicago on Thursday with speeches scheduled for Lincoln, Nebraska, and Ames, Iowa. He is due to arrive in Chicago at noon on Saturday. In Houston, Texas, the annual Governor's Conference is in its first day. Another colleague, Ed Morgan, is covering that meeting. Ed, what's the gossip in Houston? Well, Ed, like Texas oil, the gossip is coming in gushers. We might try to bottle up a little of the Democratic brand first, though its value as a lubricant can't be guaranteed. Interested governors seem to sense a smooth and powerful sound to a combination of cousins, Stevenson and Russell, as a potential Democratic ticket. Last April 16th, the governor of Illinois issued a 367-word statement saying, in essence, and with manifest sincerity, that he didn't want to run for president and that he was not then a candidate. This morning, Mr. Stevenson issued a similar statement, but it was 166 words shorter, and it skirted the point in a smaller circle. He said he was not being coy or trying to pick up an opponent, and that he wouldn't participate in a draft. But what if one came? Well, he'd have to decide then. This, as one Houston paper puts it, leaves Stevenson with his foot in the door. 
There is an almost palpable air of compromise, Ed, among the Democratic governors, which is where Georgia's Senator Russell comes in, though not of his own volition, as possible vice presidential timber. For instance, Governor Dever of Massachusetts, who will be the Democratic keynoter, had kind words for Russell... And many governors on both sides of the Mason and Dixon line have talked of the need for unity on the issue of civil rights. It's suggested that the Stevenson-Russell team might provide the proper balance to avoid any possible Dixiecrat bolt. Most of the Republican governors here are making large and enthusiastic noises for General Eisenhower. Just a little while ago, Governor Dewey of New York said that since his arrival last night, he had learned from other governors, Republicans of course, that as many as 40 Taft votes would switch to the general on the second ballot. He spoke of this switch as being definite, but he wouldn't say who the governors were he talked to or where the switches might come. And indeed, a loyal Taft minority consisting of the governors of Utah, Idaho, and North Dakota insisted that this was just speculative talk and that the senator was still the strongest candidate. Technically, of course, this 44th annual convention of governors isn't concerned with politics at all. They are struggling bravely through an agenda of tax problems, highway matters, and higher education curricula. But when the first session was just about to convene officially this morning, a fuse blew out, leaving the delegates in total darkness. A cynical observer remarked this was due to the supercharged political atmosphere. Another blamed it on the heavy weight of Texas hospitality. The visitors have been deluged with literally tons of gifts, ranging from cowboy boots to brochures on the conference bound in unborn calfskin. Such is the opulence of Texas. There's a constant round of conferences and sightseeing, cocktail parties, and pre-convention caucusing. And that, Ed, is what the governors have been doing. That was Ed Morgan reporting from Houston, Texas. Senator Dick Russell, campaigning for the Democratic presidential nomination, tonight accused Gail Sullivan, Senator Kefauver's campaign manager, of indulging in gutter politics. Russell said that a recent statement by Sullivan that Russell would take second place on a ticket with Governor Stevenson is a despicable campaign falsehood. Secretary of State Dean Acheson was in Vienna today, following a visit to Berlin. I'd like to discuss the implications of those two visits in a moment. Three days of heavy rains have kept ground fighting in Korea to a minimum, and once again there was no air action. The truce talks, which have been recessed for the past three days, will resume tonight. And South Korean President Syngman Rhee has told his assembly... If it doesn't adopt his proposed constitutional amendments within the next couple of days, he will find means of dissolving the assembly. Chiang Kai-shek, in a cabled interview with U.S. News and World Report, urged an all-out bombing of China's war industries. He said he doubted the communists could contain a revolt which such attacks might inspire. Egypt tonight is in the midst of its third cabinet change in five months, but details leading up to the change are being delayed by heavy censorship. The State Department, despite recent congressional disapproval of the St. Lawrence Seaway project, has told the state of New York it can go ahead with negotiations to set up a preliminary power plant with Canada. The plant would be jointly financed by the state of New York and Canada and is expected to be completed within the next six years. The Senate has approved funds to build up the Air Force to 143 wings within the next three years. We now have approximately 90 wings. There were no new developments in the steel strike today, other than an official estimate that production is now 12% of normal. And here in New York, 
We had our first 13 alarm fire in five years. A converted trolley barn in Brooklyn caught fire. Eight tenements were destroyed. Damage is estimated at more than a half million dollars. 500 families had to be evacuated. And the watchman is reported missing. Today, Secretary of State Acheson said in Vienna that American troops will remain in Austria until its independence is assured. He said that three of the four powers in Austria want to go home, indicating that the fourth, Russia, does not want to leave. The Western powers have about 25,000 troops in Austria, while the Russians have an estimated 40,000. Mr. Acheson's visit to Vienna is in the nature of a journey of goodwill, in return for the recent visit of Austria's Chancellor Fiegel to Washington. But Alexander Kendrick cables me from Vienna tonight that the Acheson visit is having an extremely disturbing effect on Austrian public opinion. The communists are charging that the Acheson visit means that Austria will soon be rearmed and developed as an American military base. Also, that we are trying to arrange an agreement between Austria and Yugoslavia as part of the anti-Russian front in Middle Europe. Kendrick reports that these charges are having a tremendous effect on the morale of the Austrian people, who just don't want to be involved in anything more serious than party politics, bank scandals, and the relative merits of Beethoven versus Bartok. In European history, foreign ministers' visits generally are made in order to make deals, generally in secret. Kendrick believes that the Atchison visit is creating more suspicion and fear than goodwill. Today, the Western Allies sent their ninth protest in five weeks to the Russians in Berlin. They accused the Russians of carrying out brutal mass expulsions of Germans along the border between East and West Germany. Six highway frontier points have been closed. Two railway lines between East and West Germany have been cut. And telephone communication between the two zones has been interrupted. The West claims that the Russians are trying to split Germany in two, prevent any communication between the two parts of the country. In all this propaganda and counter-propaganda about Acheson's visit and the tightening controls between East and West Germany, it may be that one of the most important developments of the weekend has been obscured. That event was the completion of the East German Canal, which bypasses West Berlin. Since last year, the communists have been laboring mightily, digging a new canal which connects the Oder and the Elbe rivers without touching West Berlin. It's about 23 miles long and was scooped out of the sandy and swamp soil at prodigious cost. This means that thousand-ton barges are now able to go around West Berlin without the possibility of interference or stoppage by the Western authorities. Since last year, the Russians have been able to move their freight shipments by rail around the western sector of Berlin. All this means that the communists have trumped one of our main reprisal cards if they should decide to put the squeeze on Berlin with another blockade. Berlin lies a hundred miles deep in communist-held territory, and the communists can now bypass the western sector, both by rail and by canal. The only conceivable justification for the completion of this 23-mile canal must be strategic and political. It tightens the communist stranglehold on Berlin and makes it possible for them to cut the corridor leading to it without themselves being in danger of having their own rail and barge traffic stopped at the West Berlin bottleneck. If they choose, they can now, upon one pretext or another, close the corridor leading to Berlin, 
leaving the Western powers without any effective means of economic retaliation. This is Ed Morrow. I'll be back in a moment with the word for today. Now, here is Bob Dixon. The Pittstown, New Jersey Anti-Horse Thief Association has been disbanded. That's a pity, for there's a lot of horse stealing happening every day. Not exactly horses, but horsepower. And the thief, all too often, it's ordinary gasoline. With ordinary gasoline in the tank, an automobile engine just can't deliver all the horsepower engineers say it should deliver. Ordinary gasoline detonates, burns in completely, just doesn't put out full energy. Restore that stolen horsepower to your engine by using only Amoco gas. Amoco gas is all fuel, every drop. Everything in it burns because everything in it is a pure petroleum product. That clean burning is only one reason why motorists who switch to Amoco gas stay switched. Once they try it, once they discover all the advantages of Amoco gas, you couldn't get them to go back to ordinary gasoline. They're sold on Amoco gas. They're sold on its quieter smoothness, sold on its greater efficiency, and positively sold on its much, much more economy on the road. In any car, on any road, on every count, Amoco gas is your best buy. That's my word for today, and here's Mr. Murrow with his word for today. Secretary of State Atchison went to Berlin and Vienna primarily to reassure those who feel that the worst may be yet to come. Mr. Atchison doubtless knows well what Lord Chesterfield meant when he said, fear, instead of avoiding danger, only invites it. He also knows that the Roman historian Livy was right when he observed, the less there is of fear, the less there is of danger. Good night and good luck. You can tell by all the talk and excitement that 1952 will be the most exciting election year in American history. What a letdown it would be to be left out at the finish. Don't let that happen to you. Register. Remind your friends to register. Call your local office in charge of elections, your city hall or county courthouse, and do it quick. Register to be sure you have your own say on November 4th. Don't be left out of this important election. Listen to Murrow tomorrow. This is the CBS Radio Network.